Welcome to Democracy Rules, a podcast series that focuses on the me in democracy and how the idea of the self defines and is defined by the democratic structures within which we function. Hello and welcome to the Democracy Rules podcast. My name is Joy King, and I'm a public diplomacy officer at the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi. I'll be subbing in today for Prakar Bahatia as we interview a special guest for today's episode. I am so thrilled to speak with the U.S. diplomat Azra Zaya, who serves as the Undersecretary for Civilian Security, Democracy, and Human Rights at the U.S. Department of State. Welcome, Undersecretary Zaya. Thank you so much, Joy. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. So let's get started from the beginning. Throughout your distinguished 27-year career in the Foreign Service. You've had a front row seat in understanding the role of the U.S. government abroad, including its work in promoting democracy. Currently, you serve as the Undersecretary for Civilian Security, Democracy, and Human Rights. So why were you interested in pursuing a career in the Foreign Service? And could you tell us a little bit about your role in your current position? Well, those are great questions, Joy. Interestingly for me, I would say one of the reasons I was interested in pursuing a career in the Foreign Service was indeed my origins in India. I am the proud uh, daughter of two Indian Americans, my parents who immigrated to the United States in the 1960s, part of what I would describe as the first wave of a South Asian uh, diaspora to the United States. I was the first member of my entire family born in the United States in the great state of North Carolina where uh, we were one of a handful in the uh, university town of Chapel Hill, South Asian American families uh, who knew one another, who had a connection, I would say, to different languages, cultures, and uh, maybe just an awareness of, of the world well beyond my hometown, my home state, and, and the United States. So I was always interested in, in studying foreign languages, I was interested in travel, although I didn't have uh, extensive opportunities to travel as a young person. I also, uh, at university, spent a year abroad as a student studying Arabic uh, in Cairo, Egypt. And I think that that was another formative experience for me that really convinced me that I wanted to be able to work to bridge differences between cultures, find common ground, and uh, work maybe idealistically towards a more just and peaceful world. What's exciting for me is, is the latter is, is really the impetus uh, for my role as Undersecretary of State for Civilian Security, Democracy, and Human Rights. And as the title uh, implies, a large part of this is supporting universal human rights as enshrined in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights, advancing democratic values of inclusion, of equality, and the idea that democracies uh, worldwide really have a common endeavor, despite their size or experiences, to really deliver for their citizens. Uh, in the U.S. Constitution, this is um, embodied in our preamble, where we express our determination towards a more perfect union. So my undersecretary role, I oversee U.S. efforts uh, advancing human rights, um, supporting humanitarian relief, uh, refugees and migrants, um, supporting peaceful stabilization of societies uh, post 
conflict and helping resolve conflicts. We advance the fight against narcotics and transnational crime, counterterrorism, as well as fighting forms of intolerance from anti-Semitism and Islamophobia to working with partners throughout the world to eradicate the scourge of human trafficking and advance accountability for gross violators of human rights. So it's a pretty broad remit, but it's one that I find personally and professionally inspiring. That truly does sound uh, inspiring and what an amazing opportunity to be able to work on those type of issues globally. Um, I'll say one shout out to Student Exchange because uh, myself as a diplomat, um, I was also inspired by my first opportunity to study abroad uh, and that really opened my eyes. And, you know, here there's so many Indian students who have that similar experience when they go to the United States to study. And so uh, really excited to hear that that helped shape your experience. So with that incredible portfolio, what is your personal greatest achievement in supporting democracy? There are many over the course of my career, but I would say one that that stands out uh, very recently was President Biden's convening of the Summit for Democracy last December. And this was the largest U.S.-hosted gathering of world leaders, a, a virtual gathering in its first iteration uh, in American history. And I was proud to support this event as the undersecretary, as the senior State Department official um, in charge of planning and organization. And we were proud to welcome India alongside democracies large and small from every region of the world. The gathering was focused around three core pillars, which include countering authoritarianism, elevating the fight against corruption, and advancing human rights at home and abroad. And what came out of that first session was uh, very concrete and meaningful commitments, more than 740 different commitments from the 100-plus participating governments to strengthen uh, bilateral and multilateral efforts in those core areas. What an uh, amazing effort. And um, as you know, the Summit for Democracy is, in fact, the inspiration for our Youth Democracy Summit that we've been supporting here at the American Center um, and highlighting the importance of the global effort around making sure that our democratic institutions are able to stay in place. So this podcast highlights the role of the individual in sustaining a healthy democracy. How important do you feel individual action is in safeguarding democratic structures? I believe that individual action is, is really at the core of the integrity and the performance of democratic structures. And just to quote uh, President Biden, he said, there is not a single thing we the people cannot accomplish when we work together. So to strengthen civic engagement and encourage individual action, the United States has introduced a, a series of measures to support Americans' ability to fully participate in civic life, uh, to foster a shared sense of community, and to empower people to strengthen our democracy from the ground up. So let me cite some of the ways uh, this is happening in concrete terms. At home, we're investing in national service and volunteer programs that bring together people from different backgrounds to serve their communities and our country in common purpose. Combating climate change, for example, requires the engagement and effort of individuals. It is not a job for governments alone. So for this reason, President Biden issued an executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad that is directed the creation of a new civilian climate corps that is going to mobilize Americans to address climate change adaptation, 
resiliency, and mitigation. The U.S. government is also bolstering civics education so that all Americans can have the opportunity to learn our nation's rich history, which includes both our triumphs and the times at which we have failed to live up to our founding ideals. But this knowledge makes us stronger and it helps us build the skills required to fully participate in civic life and engage and contribute to the democratic process. Thanks for that. And um, of course, the democracy is the government for the people and by the people. And so, you know, just echoing that how important it is to have individual action. And in my role overseeing programs and engagements at the American Center here in New Delhi, I've been able to see firsthand India's thriving and active civil society and how they creatively engage their communities on important topics from empowering women to combating climate change. I think this hunger to grow and participate in and foster civil society is one that Americans and Indians share. So when did you first start understanding your role as a citizen in a democracy? And how have you engaged as a member of U.S. civil society? This one takes me back a bit, Joy, but I'll, I'll share a couple of experiences for me that were really formative, I would say, as a uh, individual interested in, in shaping positive change, both in my country and internationally. So uh, during my childhood in, in North Carolina, it was a period in which they were talking about making some major cuts to public television, you know, which is a wonderful resource in the United States that provides free content, you know, with arts, cultural, uh, youth-oriented content to everyone without any barriers. Through my school, I think I learned of an opportunity to, to write letters uh, on this issue, and I wrote an impassioned one as an elementary school student that somehow made its way to national public radio, all things considered. And they called me to interview me on NPR as an elementary school student to describe, um, you know, my impassioned appeal not to cut this funding. And I think uh, I'm probably uh, lucky that there doesn't seem to be a record of that. <laughs> I have no idea what I said, but I know I was committed. But I was inspired uh, in later years as a young college student to join campus protests against the then South African apartheid regime and to advocate for the divestment of my university from all investments in this unjust and evil system as part of what was a wave in that period of the 1980s of activism, particularly among young people and anti-racism organizations that I think contributed to uh, international efforts to dismantle and apartheid in South Africa. And obviously the, the victory there belongs entirely with the South African people and courageous uh, leaders such as President Mandela. But it was something that inspired me and certainly the quest towards a more just and peaceful world uh, for me has been a motivator that helped catalyze my decision to join the Foreign Service and serve my nation as a diplomat. What an awesome story and example. Uh, both of these are really incredible. And I personally love All Things Considered. It's a wonderful program. And uh, NPR um, is extremely important to, you know, they kind of talk about that fourth pillar in democracy, which is journalism and, and vaccine. Uh, so fighting for that, um, as well as the, the ability to peacefully protest is uh, awesome, both incredible examples. So you mentioned before kind of the, the Summit for Democracy and President Biden's Summit for Democracy was actually the inspiration for this podcast and for the Youth Democracy Summit that we're hosting here in Mission India. Why do you think it is essential to bring together leading democracies of the world? And what are some of the challenges that we can collectively solve? I think there are a, a couple of reasons why this gathering and framework is so important. 
important. And, and one is that this is not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. History and overwhelming data and research show that societies that respect and defend democratic institutions, the rule of law, human rights, and fundamental freedoms, and gender equality are more stable, prosperous, secure, and better equipped to confront global challenges. So as President Biden has said, we have to prove that democracy still works and can improve people's lives in tangible ways. It's about continually striving to deliver for our citizens. So our view and the ideas behind the summit are that democracies can more easily achieve our shared goals by working together. But I want to be clear here, you know, we are not here to, to give lessons or to tell the world uh, to follow our model, we recognize that democracies take many different forms and that the Summit for Democracy itself was a representation of a very broad and diverse and global gathering of democracies, large and small, well-established and emerging. But despite those differences, we're confronting similar challenges, such as maintaining adherence to the rule of law, protecting free speech and press, maintaining free and fair elections, and countering disinformation or other uh, efforts that erode trust in democracy itself or the integrity of democratic institutions. The summit was also put together with the notion that we can learn from one another as partner nations and also from stakeholder, from other stakeholders. I, I want to underscore that the summit framework is more than governments. It's a multi-stakeholder effort that integrates civil society and the private sector in taking on uh, common challenges, such as uh, supporting free and fair elections, free from external interference, um, upholding free and independent media, supporting democratic reformers worldwide and the ability of civil society to carry out its vital work. Advancing the idea of tech for democracy, supporting technological innovations that strengthen democracy, that give more people access to the democratic process, and that strengthen the integrity of institutions themselves. Um, the final point I would make is I, I think the summit effort was also premised on a notion of by working together, you know, we collectively, including the United States, can rejuvenate and improve our open rights respecting societies from within, but also stand together in defending against threats and addressing the most pressing crises of our time. I'm really fascinated by the point that you made about proving that democracy still works and delivers for people. Because the truth is that democracy is an experiment, but it is effective. Democracy protects the rights and freedoms of every individual in a society, while also fulfilling the needs and functions of a governing body. So it's important for citizens to be able to trust the governments they elect. To that end, what is the role of the State Department in building capacity for democracy? And how has the U.S. worked to support democratic ideals in the past? And what are they planning to do in the future? Well, I'm really happy, Joy, to hear you recognizing the vital role of civil society in advancing democratic ideals. So our State Department has consistently supported civil society through capacity building programs globally. We also recognize exceptional international leaders from civil society through our International Women of Courage Award and anti-corruption champions. Uh, the United States has also made a number of commitments to support democratic values by working with our partners internationally to bolster free and independent media, 
to elevate the fight against corruption, to defend and support free and fair elections. And, you know, this is an area where I think India is a global leader in a electoral process that almost boggles the mind in its scale and complexity. And also, a final point, we're working together to harness technology for democratic renewal. So our view is that a strong and thriving democracy is one that is accessible to all people. So we're also focused on strengthening civic capacity to advance the civic and political leadership of women, girls, and other groups that may be marginalized within their societies. A final point I'd like to make here is that young people have an absolutely integral role in this process. So we want to hear their voices. We want to encourage them to play a central role in building and strengthening democracies. So to do so, we're helping young people and young leaders develop skills and connections to serve their communities through a range of exchange programs. So one example of this is last June, the State Department launched the Gandhi King Scholarly Exchange Initiative, which is going to convene young leaders from the United States and India to advance civil rights, social justice, and inclusion locally, nationally, and globally by exploring the history and intertwined legacies of Mahatma Gandhiji and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I would have to say these two figures are two of the inspirations for my work as undersecretary and my decision to become a diplomat serving my country. And those inspiring leaders will continue to inspire uh, people for generations um, by their incredible dedication to peace and nonviolence. I'm really glad that you mentioned the role of the youth because, as you both know, India has the largest youth population in the world. And their ability to protect and uphold democratic values will ensure that democracy withstands some of the challenges you mentioned earlier. One of the most intriguing features of democracy is its ability to adapt. And we've seen democracies increase the freedoms and rights of different groups and adapt voting procedures as new technologies emerge. In the 21st century, do you think that the traditional idea of democracy has changed? And what are some of the new democratic spaces that have emerged in the recent past? Well, I think we need to make sure that our approaches in advancing democracy and addressing potential threats or challenges to democracy are actually rooted in the present and are not static or, or simply anchored in the past. So on this point, I think you've raised an important consideration because we've all seen the very powerful role that technology continues to play in advancing democratic progress and bolstering the work of civil society. Of course, the advent of social media has connected people around the world like never before, sparking social movements and calls for change. But social media has also been manipulated by bad actors, and we're seeing digital technologies misused to weaponize hate and to give governments the ability to surveil, censor, and repress people like never before. One way that this is being done is through internet shutdowns. So the United States government has condemned government-imposed internet shutdowns, among other tactics, that prevent the exercise of freedom of expression online. Uh, that's why we've launched a task force and a global coalition known as the Freedom Online Coalition to strengthen coordinated action to prevent internet shutdowns from happening and to push back against them when they occur. I think our, you know, overarching objective is to support the exercise of human rights online 
as we do offline. A final point I'd make here is that the United States is also launching a series of international grand challenges on democracy-affirming technologies. So this initiative is aiming to incentivize innovation and help integrate our democratic values into every stage of the development and use of new technologies. By working together through our Summit for Democracy and elsewhere, we're aiming to strengthen global cooperation on these issues and ensure that technology is working for and not against democracies everywhere. And, you know, that speaks directly to what we've discussed a little bit about the constant change of democracy and the need to kind of continue to work to protect it and to make sure that it continues to deliver for people. So here at the U.S. Mission in India, we are really pumped that this year marks the 75th year of the U.S.-India relationship. What are some of the key achievements that you think have helped build these two strong democracies? I'd like to start by congratulating uh, U.S. Mission India and the Indian government on this, you know, a very auspicious 75th year of bilateral relations. And I also want to say that I'm personally proud to have been part of that effort, having served as the political minister counselor at the U.S. Embassy a little over a decade ago, as we were further deepening and broadening U.S.-India strategic partnership, which has only thrived since that period. And, you know, it is an absolute affirmation, I think, that India, uh, since on its journey since independence has stood as a beacon for the world. So just in April of this year, Secretary Blinken and External Affairs Minister Jai Shankar visited together our historically black Howard University and here in our capital city, Washington, D.C., where they commemorated the legacy of India's freedom fighters, whose, as you mentioned, Joy, their message of nonviolence established a united, inclusive republic and served to inspire leaders from around the globe, including in the United States, with a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and many others. India's electoral democracy represents the largest exercise of a nation's electoral franchise anywhere in the world. So, you know, I think it's important to note uh, that the prime minister highlighted in his remarks at the Summit for Democracy, the lessons that the world's largest democracy can share with others on holding free and fair elections and enhancing transparency in all areas of governance through innovative digital solutions. President Biden's address on International Day of Democracy last year noted that the United States is going to continue the vital work of strengthening democratic institutions, defending civil society and independent media, promoting free and fair elections, protecting human rights, and insisting on accountability for those who commit abuses and foster corruption. So I think there's a lot of work for our two nations to continue to do together and to learn from one another in this area with, I hope, the full involvement of our vibrant civil societies. What an inspiring way forward. I think there's only potential, there's only possibility, and there's only more that we can do together. So we ask all of our interviewees for one call to action. Today, can you tell some of our listeners what are some of the things that they can focus on as individuals to build a more representative and demonstrative democracy? Well, I love this idea of a call to action. So I'm going to center mine around civil society because I believe the hallmark of a strong and healthy democracy is an active civil society. 
Uh, in my own country, the United States, we've seen and experienced the power of citizens to shape our own government, to drive positive change, and to hold government and elected leaders accountable. India, I believe, has seen the same. So civil society can be a catalyst for democratic change and continual renewal and improvement. I believe also that everyone can play a role in supporting civil society. So I'd encourage our listeners to find a topic that you're passionate about and learn about how your community is affected. Work with lawmakers, leaders, decision makers in your community to make positive change and to make your voice heard. Well, I'm feeling inspired, uh, certainly. And so I know others uh, will be too after hearing that message and the role of individuals and how one person can make such a huge change, even for their own communities and beyond. So thank you so much for joining me today, Undersecretary Zaya. It has been a absolute pleasure chatting with you. And we really appreciate you taking the time to give your listeners insight into your work and your efforts to strengthen democracy globally. Thank you so much, Joy. It's been a joy speaking to you. I couldn't resist. But also, just so wonderful to be a part of this series and uh, all the best to you and your listeners and really look forward to working together to continue supporting democracies that deliver for our citizens and the world. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, or wherever you are currently listening. This podcast is generously supported by the U.S. Mission India. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated in the episode are those of the guests and speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of State. Hold up.